It's been said when a man loses money, he's lost nothing. When he loses his health, he's lost something. But when he loses his hunger, he doesn't just lose something, he has lost. The world seems right for spiritual enlightenment. Secular humanism is no longer satisfying, but neither does any form of Christianity that relies more on traditions and creeds than on a personal relationship with God. The push-button, pop-pill generation is looking for a quick fix spiritual experience that promises instant blessings rather than the slow burn spiritual discipline that focuses more on God. When what is needed is for a profound new emerging spiritual hunger to characterize believers that becomes a landing script for the Holy Spirit. In this episode of Keep 100, we will have a convo on spiritual hunger and why it holds the key to your destiny. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and your real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, it's Sean and Krista Smith coming at you today. Hey fam, how you guys doing? We are so excited for this episode because we're going to be talking about spiritual hunger. But before we dive in, we got to talk about what we have been doing these last few weeks. We've been on a bit of a whirlwind travel, but we have been seeing God move incredibly. And so, you know, we started off in the Northwest, Portland, Seattle area, and I love the Northwest because for those of you that don't know, I'm actually from the Northwest. And so I'm super passionate because I've given years of my life to really believe for a revival, a move of God. And friends, we are seeing it. There are moves of God that are happening in pockets all around the Northwest region of America, and it's so exciting. We began in Portland at the Pacific Northwest Press Summit, and it was mighty. It really was. We had different people there. Cindy Jacobs was involved in that. There were many other people that ministered and preached, and Krista and I each had sessions. But the hunger we yes. saw in the people there, I, in all my years of ministering, I've never seen that level of hunger in the Pacific Northwest, which statistically they say is the least church region, United States of America, but the hunger was palpable. It was incredible. Oh, it it really was. It was so special. And like you said, it was such an honor to partner with Pastor Aaron and just what God's doing in that region and really believe for wells of revival that have already been in the Northwest, but to partner once again with what God's doing. And from Portland, then we flew to Galveston, Texas. We were partnering with just an awesome, awesome couple that have an incredible work out there, Church of the Living God in Galveston with Pastors Trey and... Marlo Dowdy. Come on. And they're just an amazing, amazing couple that we just love. And tell you what, they're seeing their city changed. And it was awesome. So on Halloween, but we like to call it Reformation Day, we saw God move in just a powerful way. We saw salvations. We saw people impacted the altars. And again, just again, a fresh, fresh hunger. It was. People packed the altar. We even have pictures of it. People laid out. Uh, there were deliverances. There were healings. There was prophetic ministry. But it was a hunger in a place Galveston some of you may know of this because it's it's beach in Texas that it's been a spring break destination for college students. And so there's a real hunger uh, in terms of uh, uh, hunger in the flesh, but we really saw a spiritual hunger of people going after God. And there's a real need there because there's a lot of people and you could tell that there's addiction and other things, but the hunger there was, in, it was incredible once again. And then after that, we went to Savannah, Georgia, which Krista, that was your first time going there. Yes. And it was so fun. I've always wanted to go to Savannah, Georgia. It's a bit like... Like it's a, what I call a romantic city in America. It's just got such this nostalgic element. I think I watched, I watched a lot of rom-coms wa- growing up and a lot of them were out of Savannah, Georgia. As soon as I came off the plane, I turned to my husband. And I was like, it's such an honor to be in Savannah, Georgia. I mean, I, you know, it's just, it's great. And we saw God move. Sean, talk. I'd love for you to tell our tribe, you know, what, what we were doing there. Well, I want to awesome. begin with this part first. I was super <laughs> excited to see John Wesley's statue. Yes. Anybody that knows me knows that. And 
I'm a bit of a revival nerd. And to be able to go there and see that they have John Wesley statue, actually had a church there. His only church he pastored when he was in the United States was there in Savannah. And it was just so incredible because this guy was one of the catalysts for the first great awakening. And so we walked the streets a little bit and it was so cool to see his statue and to know the history, spiritual history of what took place there. But we got a chance to speak to the top tier leadership of one of the largest Pentecostal denominations in the world and all their national leaders and all their different regional leaders and assistant leaders, uh, men and women of God gathered about 400 and the power of God so fell and these leaders were so hungry. They hit the altar that we wept together. Really we cried incredible. out together. We could all feel that God was calling us to uh, back to our roots of the Holy Ghost, of the power of God, of the presence of God, and to not settle for anything less, uh, to abandon shortcuts and just go after God. And you brought a powerful word, Krista. You just got to share that because that was mighty. Yeah. You know, it's a word that the Lord really gave me about the raising up of the Esters, but it's not the cliche, Esters are rising. It really is from a place of tearing down the Haman spirit that's been released over our nation. That's probably another podcast, another episode to break that down, which actually that'd be awesome if I did at some point. But it's really with the intent of there's been a Haman spirit that's been released around the nation. And just like in biblical times, a Haman spirit was defeated by Esther. I believe God is raising up Esther's and Mordecai's once again, men and women coming together side by side to defeat the Haman spirit. And so the response was incredible. And I felt like it just re-envisioned all of us of our purpose of our assignment in this hour, because we really are in a defining moment in the church in America. We really are at a tipping point. And I'm seeing this remnant arise with humility, hunger, but also in their authority. And it's really incredible um, that people are responding as they are to God's word right now, to his spirit, to his presence. And it was just such a powerful time. I was truly so honored to be around so many incredible generals of the faith that have truly given their life to the gospel. And mm -hmm. I sat there in this room of people that have truly just had a yes in their heart, like, God, I give my life for my city, my nation, my state. And we, I, I really was like, how did I get in this room? But I just saw such this collective hunger, which we're talking about today, that collective hunger of, although we might be having served God for decades, we still are so much, we are still hungry for so much more. And we concluded last week by being with Mama Cindy Jacobs yeah. and the Global Prophetic Summit. Mm -hmm. And each of us were able to speak at one of the sessions in the yeah. main uh, chapel for this event and thousands of people, you count all the people online, incredible, incredible generals, people that you and I grew up in the faith, right? just looking at and being so impacted by their ministry. And then at Christ for the Nations yes. and speaking at YFN. Oh my gosh. And that was so awesome. Micah and Yvette are just, they're truly championing a generation for an encounter with God. It's incredible what God is doing through these ministries. So we're with Mama Cindy Jacobs. She's been doing it for decades, has impacted nations. She's amazing. And then we were with Micah and Yvette who are going after this generation. It's just so cool to see all the different roles people are playing and all of them are so vital to what God's doing now. Yes. This episode, you guys, we're talking about spiritual hunger. And the importance of it is, is this. First of all, there was this article that came out. I think it was on CBN and it was entitled, it says, the pandemic fueled spiritual hunger for 181 million Americans. And basically it was saying millions of Americans were opening their Bible for the very first time during this past COVID quarantine uh, civil unrest season. They tell us in this article that more than 10 million more Americans turned to the Bible over the past year of COVID pandemic than in years before, according to the American Bible Society. And their new 2021 stat boo stated the Bible reported 
estimate that 181 million Americans opened a Bible during the wow. past year. And they say in addition to that, one in four adults said they read the Bible more frequently over the past year than in prior years. So That's if you amazing. literally look at the statistic, what is it telling us? It really is telling us there is a whole new level of hunger that people are not satisfied where they're at, that they know there has to be something more. Because I think so many people saw themselves in a pendulum swing yep. of emotional roller coaster and they're like, I can't live like this. I can't live stressed out, maxed out, worried, full of anxiety with my sleep deprived life. Right? I can't live that way. I have to find a place of rest in the storm. I have to find a peace in the midst of the chaos. And I think people recognize the only place you're going to be able to find that is Jesus. And there were so many people that were watching different Christians in their lives. I know this for a fact because there's been so many testimonies where people that have walked with God were approached by people that have previously been really opposed to the things of God, not open. And they're like, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? Hey, can you can you tell me like, where do I read in the Bible? Or where can I find some? There was a shift in people's openness, which I'm going to cl uh, classify as hunger. So true. You know, you can eat cotton candy, but that's not going to fill your belly. It tastes good <laughs> in a moment. And I think what got exposed is that maybe we fed on things that really didn't satisfy, that really didn't in, in some ways answer that deep cry in our hearts for the more. And in this season, it was exposed what was the cotton candy and what's eternal when people hungered for the things of God. It's so true. And we really felt the challenge of this season. And I think as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we have to understand when we're talking about hungering for the things of God, the word of God really compels us to hunger and thirst for the things of the Lord. And we really have to be asking ourselves the question, is your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, your soul, is your soul crying out for more? Or are you the same as you were years ago? I think that's a really great barometer to gauge where you're at in your spiritual hunger. If you have decreased in your hunger from where you were when you first encountered God, that's a very telling sign as to where you are. But if you've changed, if there's a deeper cry, if there's a deeper desperation, it means you've gone deeper in the things of God, which is what I believe God is beckoning for us in this hour. See, we have to understand that our hunger is really rooted in a raging battle. There is a battle for the hunger of God's people. There is a battle for the hunger of those that are seeking because they may not know Jesus yet, but they're the seekers. And there is a battle between our flesh, but the spirit of God, because they want that same territory within so our lives. And so when we understand that when God becomes Lord of our life, there's a hunger that erupts within us for the more of God. And so there is something about hunger for spiritual realities that create a level of anointing that creates an atmosphere of faith within us. So we're talking about spiritual hunger today, but when you walk in a spiritual hunger, did you know it actually changes the atmosphere that surrounds you? Because you and I can walk into a room and you and I carry an atmosphere, but when there's the hunger of God, that's the foundation of who you are. It actually brings an atmosphere of the miraculous and hunger draws the anointing. I have seen the anointing increase in our lives simply because the hunger has increased, but we have to recognize there is a war and there's a battle for the hunger over your life. It's so impressive that the guy who was the catalyst for perhaps America's greatest awakening, I wouldn't say perhaps maybe others would, but it was Azusa Street Revival, W.J. Seymour. John G. Lake was a contemporary who's obviously known as an incredible revivalist giant of healing. John G. Lake saw this catalyst that I'm referring to, W.J. Seymour, and he said of W.J. Seymour, he was the most hungry for God man wow. he'd ever seen. So when you talk about he changes atmospheres, Come that on. one man's hunger and the people God brought around literally has caused at this stage in the game, uh, I mean, if you count from that point to this point now, billions of people have been drawn in the power of God, baptized in the Holy Ghost, 
released in the prophetic, released in the harvest field and doing kingdom stuff because of hunger. So that is so true. And you know, I just want to add in because I, I, we were just around him, Lou Engle. I would say for me, Lou Engle has truly rocked my life and impacted my life in the area of spiritual hunger. Because I don't know if I can say in my generation, in my a time being alive, that I've seen someone that has been more hungry for God to move. I mean, there's a ravenous, ravenous hunger, an appetite for the more of God in Louisville, and he has provoked nations. He his hunger has gathered people to fill stadiums to believe for revival, for a move of God, for an outpouring, for the ending of abortion. His hunger has provoked a generation that was asleep to wake up for people that have been uh, kind of dormant to get rattled and to arise. I mean, hunger can change a generation. Hunger can change a country. Hunger can change history. And it does, and it is. So let's take a minute right now to define hunger. What What is spiritual hunger? You know, really, I would say that spiritual hunger and defining it, it's our longing for spiritual substance in the meat of the spirit. It's like, it's when you want to grow, when you want to take ground, and when you want to fight, it's when you want to level up that you must be spiritually hungry. If you're not spiritually hungry, you're not going to take ground. You're not going to fight. You're not going to level up. You're going to settle. And spiritual hunger is often coupled with spiritual thirst. And that is our longing for vitality, peace, and delight in God for the moment of my moment, refreshment that comes from the Holy Spirit. So really, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said in the greatest sermon he preached that we're aware of, right? The Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The promise of hunger is that there will be a fulfillment. I love that. You know, friends, we're going to jump into our Hundo P segment, which is where Sean and I talk about questions that are thrown our way, and we're going to discuss it just to see what we feel like God wants to say about those questions. Question number one, what would you say spiritual hunger is? You know, that is an amazing question because it it, it does feel a bit abstract, doesn't it? It like does. Like spiritual hunger, you're like, how do you take something abstract that's a bit invisible, you can't touch it, it's not concrete, and bring it down to a real measurable place? Well, one of the measurable points that I would have is it needs to be a strong desire. We see spiritual hunger looks like a strong desire for God's presence and God's power. I know I've seen that in my life, and I'll share a little bit about that later, but I saw in my life such a desire that I was willing uh, to go, you know, drive long distances, to be inconvenienced, to stay overnight, to pay money that I didn't have, to get into the room where Holy Spirit was moving. And so for me, I would say, you know, that strong desire for God's presence of power is such a marking point. It's such a measurable place of what the spiritual hunger looks like. You know, we see this example in the life of Moses. When God told him that an angel would go before them and cause them to possess the promised land, Moses told God that he was not interested. This is powerful unless God went with him. You find this in Exodus 33, 15. And what does that show us? It shows us that the presence of God was more important to Moses than the blessings of God. He wasn't just after the blessings, although God wanted to bless him. And But it was more about Moses saying, I'm not going to go where your presence isn't. I'm not going to go where you're not. And so Moses just wanted to be in the presence of God. There was such a hunger in him that he would not make a step. He wouldn't take move from his place of being in the presence if God wasn't going with him. You know, it's also seen in Acts 4, in the midst of persecution, the disciples came back to the upper room and they said, Lord, take note of our threats. Grant that your bond servers may speak your word with all, basically, power. Signs one is a miracles. With Speak your word with boldness while you stretch forth your hand to heal and send forth signs one is a miracles through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So as an example that the persecution of their times caused them to hunger for God's power to manifest. And they were obviously hungry for their presence. This is a group that literally walked 
walked in the presence. They were in the upper room. It sought the Lord for a number of days, anywhere between uh, 10 days they were up there. And now they're seeking his power to change culture around them. And spiritual hunger is seen in those upper rooms, whether it's Acts 2 or Acts 4. So good. I also feel like, you know, in answering this question, Boo, I would say, you know, again, what would you say spiritual hunger is? It's really also manifested by our dependence on God. True. Because the spiritually hungry are not self-sufficient. Because I think it's your dependence that causes you to draw near to God. And a great example of this is David. You mentioned Moses, and these are probably two of our favorite Old Testament characters in the Bible. David was possibly the richest and most blessed person on the planet at that time, said in Psalms 40, verse 17, I am poor and needy. How can you have, right, as the kids would say, he was stacking paper and he's the most blessed person, but yet he says, I'm poor and needy. It's his way of saying, I have a hunger for God in an atmosphere of blessing. I just need to say that again. I love that because you know what I love? And that is so true. God pours out incredible blessing. He pours out incredible provision for us. But what I love is when you are just so dependent on Jesus, you're like, I'm grateful for the riches. I'm grateful for the favor. I'm grateful for the influence. But God, I just so ache for a deeper place of my presence with you. I so ache for a deeper relationship with you that all that stuff I'm grateful for, but it's not what satisfies. The only thing that satisfies is your presence. That to me is such the place of where I want to abide for longing for the more of Jesus. As grateful as I am for everything he's done in my life, I truly recognize nothing's going to satisfy but his presence. That I believe is not only factual on so many levels, but also believe it can indicate or point out the reason why sometimes God has to remove some of the natural things. Think about this past season, how much we were unplugged from, businesses were shut down, we were separated. You know, one point in time, you couldn't go to theaters, you couldn't go to your health club, you couldn't go to places. But I think sometimes God will remove natural things, Krista, that distract us so we can learn to be dependent on Him. Bottom line, God wants us to have a greater hunger for Him, even when we experience His blessings, because a blessing is really a curse if the blessing keeps us from our dependence on God. You know, the last thing I'd really add, and you'd probably agree with this, Sean, is when we're talking about spiritual hunger, when we're defining it, like, you know, it's such a great question. What would you say it is? I think it's also measured by, is it, it is manifested by our openness to the Holy Spirit and the word of God. You know, Jesus said in Luke 4, 4, that man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So if we have a hunger for God, then we'll also have a hunger for his word. We, you know, we love to read the Bible and we love to meditate on his word, but it's also reflected by how conscientious we are about keeping in step and giving preeminence to the Holy Ghost in our day-to-day lives. That is something that is really, I think, the telltale sign. And when it really comes down to, I just want to underscore what you said, is that do you give place to the Holy Spirit? Are you hosting his presence? Or are you coasting in your Christian walk? Question number two, how do I know if I'm really hungry for God? You know, I shared this a little bit earlier. And for me, I just want to jump in real quick because I think this was something, you know, you pull from your own life, right? You pull from your own experience. And for me, it was like, you'll do anything or go anywhere to meet with God. I think this is really important because I think there has to be a healthy destination desperation, that you're willing to be inconvenienced, you're willing to jump through hoops or go through obstacles. If it's like whatever it takes to get to the presence of God, just like the woman with the issue of blood, she pushed through the crowd, she got on the dirt. She, you know, all it was all about just getting to the hem of Jesus's garment. I think there's a healthy desperation that comes from just the push through, not out of works, but out of a place of just going, I've got to get into the presence of God. I remember in my college years, you know, there was a lot of partying and whatnot, even though I went to a Christian university 
partying obviously was not allowed on our campus, but there was like a massive public state university just like 10 minutes away. So everyone would party at the state school and then come back here, you know, or come back to my campus. But I found myself just in this place of going, that's not going to satisfy. And I didn't have a car, but I did have a gas card. My dad was super smart. And so everyone would let me borrow their car because everyone in college had a car, but no money to get gas. So I would like fill up a tank of gas and everyone would be like, yes, borrow my car. And I would every week drive up to this church where the presence of God, it was a bunch of 40 somethings and 50 somethings at the time. And in my twenties, everyone felt like way older than me. There was like no other college students. It was a small church, but the presence of God was there. The prophetic was moving. Holy ghost was moving. And I was absolutely mesmerized by the flow of the Holy ghost. And I was like, I, I want this. I was, I craved so desperately an encounter with God that I was spending my weekends and even my weekdays in the evenings. If I had to open and they had a service, they had a Wednesday night service and they had Sunday night and Sunday morning. If the church doors were open, I was there. I didn't care what I missed out on my social life. I didn't care if it wasn't cool. I, I, I just wanted more of God. And it really marked me from later on in my life because there was such a hunger that I knew that if I just got into the room with Holy Ghost, I knew I wouldn't be the same. I remember I first got wrecked when I went to Latin America. I mean, obviously I was wrecked here in the United States many times, but when I went over to Latin America and I saw how those people would walk hours to be in the Holy Ghost service, wait in line just to get in the building, to sit on benches that were hardwood benches, did not have a back. Some of them didn't even have like good floors. It would be like dirt floors, stuff like that. Like almost the kind of floor that you, when you go in those like gas station bathrooms, I mean, it, it was like that, but these people would fall out in the power in the dirt. They didn't care. They would walk. They would stay all day. They definitely weren't looking at their watch if they had one. Like, okay, preacher, you better let me out in 60 minutes. And I just began to realize, you know, if you're spiritually hungry and I saw something in them that haunted me in a good way, I saw this deep inner yearning mm -hmm. for God's presence. Yeah. And it really marked me. I was actually messed up when I came back mm. and kind of came back to uh, North American kind of laissez-faire Christianity. And one of the things that I began pretty early in my walk, I'd read a couple books that really impacted my life. And there's an incredible book called Atomic Power with God Through Fasting and Prayer by Franklin Hall. You mentioned Lou Engel. He recommends this book, and I actually read it even before Lou had recommended it. But one of the things that I think that really is reflected when you're hungry for God is that you'll fast. And I think yeah. it's a lost discipline. So true. And obviously, it's not just fat. If you're just not eating food, you're dieting. But it's <laughs> fasting and praying yeah. because you're so hungry for God's presence that what happens is you're willing to fast in some way to allow the, the inner kind of, you know, when your stomach is kind of like rumbling a little bit and you get these hunger pangs, you're allowing those hunger pangs to remind you that there's a deeper hunger, your spirit pangs and hungers uh, for God. And it's so important. I think that these are some of the indicators, you know, when you're really hungry with God. And I know you've got some other thoughts. Absolutely. You know, I think when I'm like t looking at my life, looking at your life and people that I know have just like given their life for Jesus. Right. And I think we're saying, you know, what, what has hunger really look like in my life. And I think it's, you know, you love the presence of God okay. and you love spending time in the presence. You're not rushing through. I'm convinced that some of the best encounters come when we linger in the presence. And I've seen again and again in my life and other people's lives that when you're hungry for the presence of God, then it's not difficult to pray, worship, or read the word. It's like, you can't get enough of it. I remember this was in September, 2011. The Lord said, give me the month of September and go to International House of Prayer in Kansas City. And I went there and I was so excited because I love prayer rooms. I love that harp and bowl. I love prophetic worship. I love spending hours in the presence of God. Like, I love that. That's not a stretch for me. But what was interesting, 
interesting was after three days of it for like 10, 12 hours each day, I was like, cool, I'm, I'm done. Like, you know, I'm good. <laughs> you know. And the Lord's like, um, daughter, we're just getting started. You know, like Ooh. I still had a whole month because the Lord told me no shopping, no movies, all Dang. those things. And he's like, when you're awake, I just want you to come in the presence of God. So for 30 days, I didn't like go shopping. I didn't, which for me is sacrificial. And I didn't go to movies, all those things. I didn't watch TV. I just literally was either going to bed or if I was awake, I was in the house of God. And for 30 days, I just like went after the Lord. And it really put in me a necessary detox of the world to be in the presence of God, that the presence of God, there's a divine reset that happens within you. There's a detoxing that happens. There's a healing that happens. There's a transformation that happens. There's an awakening that happens. In the presence of God, there is a shift on every level within you as you spend time in the presence. And when it is um, for a longer amount of time and it's uninterrupted, that is where sometimes we see the greatest breakthrough because often we don't stay in the presence long enough to actually have the breakthrough. That is such a great point. And I, I agree with you because I think when you're really hungry for God, it isn't difficult to pray, read the word, spend elongated times in his presence because you're hungry. And that hunger turns to an affection for God. And I've heard it said that lovers will outwork workers any mm. day. Ooh, you could good. pay someone to do stuff, but the people that love you would do it whether you paid them or not. And so even if there isn't a crowd watching, even if it is doesn't swell your social media followership, getting alone with God is something you do because you hunger for him. And we have a promise too. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And it's basically saying, if you take the first step, God's going to do the rest and he's going to give you grace to draw near. But you kind of have to take that first step. And uh, Mike Bickle would often say this phrase, and I love it. He says, consistency in routine before inspiration and anointing. In other words, he's saying, if you'll just do it, even when you don't feel like it, your hunger for God will begin to increase and grace will come and accompany you and it will get easier if you just stay with it. And I think what's really important is some of our listeners might be sitting there going, I don't feel hungry. I want to be hungry, but I don't feel hungry. And how do I become hungry? And I think it's okay to feel like that. I just don't want you to stay there. And God doesn't want to stay there either. And so I want to encourage you. Sometimes it's a intentional measured discipline that you have to activate in your life. So if I don't feel like spending time with God, with God doesn't mean I don't. Uh, you have to rise above sometimes how you feel, your mood, your preferences at that time, recognizing that as you press into pray, to read the word, to worship, there is going to be an exchange. There is going to be sh a shift. And that spiritual hunger does happen, but it might take a moment. It might take some time because I always tell people when you've been filling your appetite with junk food, so to speak, there is a detox process that happens in the natural. I've gone on detoxes before where I've like cut out sugar or, you know, I've gone on those anti-inflammatory diets. And for a few days, you just feel awful because you've just detoxed all the sugar and all the stuff you've been eating that isn't maybe the best for your body. And then you actually feel amazing, but it takes like a week into it. Well, sometimes you can apply that same process to your spiritual hunger. You have to detox the vices that have taken your attention, your imagination, your affection, your time that have not had eternal value, that have not brought you closer to, closer to God. They've might been entertaining, but they've become very, they've made you very cluttered. You have to declutter your life in order to have space for spiritual hunger. You know, right along the lines, how do you know if I'm hungry for God? I also feel like you have a desire to meet with other Christians. You know, 1 John 3, 14 says, we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And so when you begin to see people withdraw from fellowship, withdraw from relationship with other believers, it's often those who have lost their hunger for God. And hungry people, Psalms 92 says it best. Psalms 92, verse 13 and 14, one of my favorite.
favorite Psalm says, planted in the Lord's house, they grow in the courts of the Lord. They bear fruit even when they're old. They're filled with vitality and have many leaves, which is obviously a way of saying they're fruitful and they have vitality. But it begins by saying, planted in the Lord's house. You know, David said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. So when you're hungry, you're going to want to be and commit it to a Christian community. It's so good. You know, just one more thing I'd add, and it's kind of connected with what I was sharing before, but you know, a way to see and really mark your hunger is you lose an appetite for the things of the world. Because although many things we do and watch may not be sinful, but they often can control our lives. So it's really kind of connected to what I was saying. Our love and hunger for God's often measured by our lack of desire for the things of the world. And the Bible says, love not the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You find that in 1 John 2.15. So you and I will often find that worldly entertainment becomes boring to us because we've experienced something so much better, our relationship with God. So if we're talking about, man, I want to become more spiritually hunger, hungry, starve the things that have fought for the attention time. And even in the area of what has been satisfying, shift that satisfaction. Because when we love the world and the things of the world, we lose our love for the Father. And on the other hand, when we develop our love for the Father, we'll lose our desire for the things of the world. I would also throw in that when you're hungry for God, you get excited about the things of God. We all know passion sells. When people are enthusiastic about things, which by the way, the word enthusiasm comes from a word in theos, which means God in a person. And so when you see hungry people, they're always excited, enthusiastic about uh, following things of God. For a while there, there was this video and the guy, actually the pastor was not in his area. And he was saying, Jesus Christ, yes, Jesus Christ. I love him. He was so fired up. Oh, I guarantee awesome. you, you sit with that dude, you're going to hear, and he's uh, about God because he, you, you know he's going to, he loves to talk about the Lord and what he's doing. All right, Keep It 100 Tribe, as always, we have the Keep It 100 Takeaways. And this episode, we're talking about the five signs that you have leanness of soul. Let me explain. Psalms 106 verse 15 talks about how the Israelites craved intensely in the wilderness. And many of you, you remember those stories, Israelites in the wilderness. They said, why couldn't we have the leeks and the onions? I don't even know what a leek is, but I guarantee you I don't have appetite for it. That we had when we were in Egypt, we wish we had that to fill our bed bellies. And so they had this Egyptian appetite, but God was trying, he was giving them manna, y'all. Come on. He was giving them water coming out the rock that is much better than Perrier, Dasania, and them kind of waters we'd be buying today, Fuji, whatever. But he says that God granted them their request, this verse says, but sent leanness of soul. So leanness of soul basically is when you have filled, if you will, your spiritual appetite with the wrong things. And as a result of that, your life begins in Christ, begins to diminish, which obviously is going to bleed over into your soul and into how you carry out things. So let's begin there. The first sign that you might have leanness of soul is you've allowed distractions to crowd out your focus on spiritual things. Now, let me break that down. It means you've let other things dole your heart's hunger for God. And you know, that can be relationships, that could be entertainment, that could be the music you're listening to, that could be the sway of culture, because that is real right now. There is such a sway and a mixture within our culture, even in the Christian church, there's a lot of mixture. And you've allowed the wrong influences, wrong people, wrong voices, right? Say that. Um, that's why we actually created a podcast. We feel like there was such a hunger and a desire for mentorship. That's why we actually created the Keep It 100, because we wanted to disciple a generation that is longing for an undiluted gospel. You know, it's talking about your faith is no longer contagious. When you're in a place where you've allowed distractions, that means people aren't impacted. People's lives aren't being changed by your spiritual walk. And Smith Wigglesworth quote, this sums it up and it's, it's a, it's a shooketh, right? You, you read this, you're like, woo. And it's, and it says the 
secret of spiritual success is a hunger that persists. It's an awful condition to be satisfied with one's spiritual attainments. God was and is looking for hungry, thirsty people. So I believe what Smith Wigglesworth is saying, which is so powerful, is we should never be satisfied for what we attain in God. We should never be satisfied for where we land in our or where we find ourselves. As grateful as we are that we are in a deeper place than we were when we once started, that should not be the place where we're satisfied and we stay. We should always desire for the deeper things of God. But that happens when we surround ourselves with hungry people, when we're connected to hungry people, when we do the disciplines and the practices to cultivate our walk with Jesus. So I believe it's it's removing the distractions that crowd out your focus on spiritual things. That is such a key point. Second side that you have leanness of soul is that you let go of your spiritual disciplines and they're not prioritized on a consistent basis. When you've let go of your spiritual disciplines, it just kind of shows that you're not hungry. After a while, you begin to feel kind of numb concerning God's presence. And then the substitutes start crowding in that, Krista, you were talking about. You begin to lack excitement that you once had in your relationship with God, which is the reason why the rebuke to the church at Ephesus is that return to your first love and the whole aspect of you've, you've lost the joy of your salvation. And when you're in this space, your devotional life, that would be your connection to God through Bible and prayer, has either been reduced to a rote exercise or it's occasional or it's ceased to exist at all. And those spiritual disciplines, they're called spiritual disciplines, but when you're really hungry, you don't look at it like a discipline. It's not a have to, it's a get to. You have the privilege of approaching Almighty God on a consistent basis, feeling His presence, walking in just the smile of God upon your heart and sharing a sweet communion with Him that the earlier saints, martyrs, they would literally spill their blood. They would defend the gospel with their lives. They would do anything. And why did they do that? They didn't have a death wish. Uh, They weren't suicidal. They did it because they had prioritized God's presence and they were willing to give their very lives for that very thing. Oh, that is so good and so well said, Sean. You know, the third takeaway of a sign that you have leanness of soul is the consecration, your personal consecration and your personal purity are abandoned. I think this is so important. You know, one of the things that I was grown up with in just the statement of me understanding me and my walk with Jesus on a very personal level was the statement, what others can, you cannot. And it wasn't out of a legalistic restriction. It was out of a consecrated posture. And when you understand that other people's standards and convictions or lack thereof cannot become your standards for convictions or your moral or your purity. You know, I share this in my book that I just released recently, you know, that I was a virgin when Sean and I got married. That wasn't by happenstance. I had to be really intentional about guarding my purity. And I was sharing this in a conversation just the other day when we were talking about there is, I believe, a new holiness that is arising within the church in North America. I believe God is raising up a purity and a value for purity again in the church because there's been such a um, diminishing of people's conviction in the area of purity and personal holiness. And it's such a reflection of Jesus. He walked, yes, a life of a man, and yet he walked perfectly sinless and blameless. And we're created in his image. And Jesus modeled for us what is available on this earth. And although God isn't looking for perfection, he is looking for surrendered. He is looking for abandoned. He is looking for the righteous, the holiness, and the pure ones. And I believe that as you have a life, uh, we're called to be set apart. So when you are allowing compromise and you're allowing sin in your life intentionally, consciously, you're going to have a diminishing very clearly of your soul and even the hunger in your life. And I think this is really important because there's such a pressure in our culture to even to compromise that compromise is cool. Compromise is sexy. Compromise is trendy. And there's a lot of people that have just thrown to the side um, those 
convictions and actually have mocked what is called to be sacred. But I believe God is calling up a generation to actually uh, defend what is sacred. And as I was sharing before, I had to really be intentional to guard my, my, my virginity, but I didn't guard my virginity. I actually guarded my purity. And I think there's a big difference because if your only goal, specifically, I'm talking about the area of, of waiting to have sex before you get married. If your only goal isn't to have sex, well, that's not the goal. You've, you've actually missed the purpose. My goal was to walk in purity and holiness, to walk in righteousness. And see, I believe that's what God is calling us, that it's not just to avoid certain sins. That's a byproduct, but it's to come from a posture within our hearts to say, you know what, Jesus, I want your, I want your glory to be seen in my life, that I live a life of consecration of holiness and purity, because I know I've been set apart. So if you are uh, allowing compromise within your life, it is going to sear your conscience, right? And a seared conscience is a double-minded man. You don't have the convictions in which God has called you um, and given you to. And I think so many times it is so important for us to understand when we walk in obedience, when we walk in holiness, we walk in purity. It's actually what will increase the hunger. But if you allow those things, it's going to be one of the first things that diminish your hunger, but also your authority. I have a story with that. I know right when I gave my life to Christ, I had come to the Lord. I had already pledged this fraternity and we would have these uh, frat parties and we would be dancing. Now, you know, for the record, I, I can't even remember the last time I was at a Christian wedding that did not have a dance, right? Like we dance. Okay. I dance with my wife. She loves to dance. I love to dance. But you have to understand these frat parties that we threw, I'm just going to keep it 100. They were foreplay. I mean, it was bumping and grinding <laughs> on the dance yes. floor. And so it's funny because one of the last times I was ever involved in one of, one of those things, I remember I went to this party, a frat party. I'm a baby, baby Christian right in the middle of, I can't even tell you what they were singing, but I guarantee it was a bump and grind song. I was dancing with a girl. I could feel that immorality meter rising up inside of me as well as the girl in front of me. And I just stopped. And in that moment, I could feel that there was a craving. And it's just principle, yeah. what you consume, you will crave and what you crave, you will consume. And I could feel this unhealthy craving. And this is the point you're bringing it up is this, that when you have leanness of soul, personal purity is abandoned. And so in that moment, I just excused myself from the girl, my fraternity brothers, we were across town. This is before Uber. Come on, y'all. We didn't have no lift. Lift back in the days, you had to lift your legs and begin to walk somebody. <laughs> so I just told them, hey, I knew they weren't going to give me a ride back. We had all rode together in a car. I walked home, but I had this encounter with God on the entire walk back. But I just remember at that point, that was the last, what I would call those kind of parties that I ever went to. But it's just to your point, it's that whole thing of consecration and personal purity are abandoned when you've lost hunger. Mm. I love that, baby. I've never heard that story. That is so powerful. Come on. Number four, the fourth sign that you have leanness of soul is that you begin to feel spiritually drained, spiritually weak on a regular basis. When you're spiritually weak, you're like Samson in Delilah's chair. You're getting your anointing clipped, right? He had his hair cut in that, but that was really, basically, he was getting his anointing and consecration clipped. And when you begin to feel spiritually strained, spiritually weak, small things, little setbacks, warfare wears you out, pushes you to extreme, you go emotionally off on people. You're extra most of the time. And it's just a sign of spiritual dryness that you're no longer, in that sense, giving to others out of a sense of fullness. You're empty, you're weary, your inner tank is running dry because that's leanness of soul. And it shows just like if you, in the natural, you didn't eat after a while, you'd feel listless, you'd feel tired, you'd have no energy. It's a sign that you need to start eating. You need to start feeding on the word of God. You need to start drinking of his presence and those kind of things. And then you'll begin to 
realize that it was leanness of soul, but there's an answer to that. The fifth and final takeaway of five signs that you have leanness of soul is you fail to respond to Holy Spirit conviction and his invitation to intimacy. My goodness. I'm going to say that again. Say it louder. You fail to respond to Holy Spirit, his convictions, and his invitation to intimacy. This is huge. See, the Holy Spirit is always wooing our hearts and working to convince us and convict us, which is healthy. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We read that in Romans, but there is godly conviction. Do not confuse conviction and condemnation. We're talking about the Holy Spirit convicting you when you allow compromise into your life, when you allow those things that you're settling for a counterfeit version of what he created you to walk in and allows the conviction for us to go deeper in our walk and to not settle for the shallow waters of consumeristic or chameleon Christianity. This is really important. I want you to catch this, that when we begin to not respond, when we begin to deny how the Lord is leading us, those those checks we have, those warnings, those senses of, oh, I shouldn't be here. Nope, I shouldn't. I shouldn't respond to that text at midnight. Nope, I shouldn't go on that day. No, I I shouldn't have that that glass of alcohol. Nope, I shouldn't hang out with that group of people. I I shouldn't get in that car. I shouldn't go to that event. And we begin to push it aside and we begin to ignore the warnings, the leadings, the prompting and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That is when you're going to have leanness of soul. When you begin to ignore how the Lord is leading you, it's one of the most dangerous places that you'll be. That is so profound. And right along with that, I'd say his invitation to intimacy, because the Holy Spirit is not only dealing with you with your no, but he's trying to strengthen your yes. Keep it 100 Tribe, as we close out this episode, our hope and prayer and desire for doing this topic on spiritual hunger is to provoke you for the more of God. Maybe today listening, you discovered, my goodness, maybe I have some areas that are dry, or maybe there's some areas that I need to make some adjustments because God is wooing me. Our prayer and hope is that you are provoked to go more after God because you were created to walk in deep intimacy and a constant revelation of who he is. Friends, he's the only thing that's going to satisfy. For some of you listeners, you might have looked to other places to satisfy, but friends, the only thing that's going to satisfy, the only thing is Jesus. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Keep It 100 Tribe. You do not want to miss our next episode is we're going to continue this important conversation. We're going to share how to get next level hunger for God. And then we're going to have a special guest chime in on this important theme. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it-